turning photography from a hobby into a full-time business and the power of the camera and the lens. I'm so excited about today's episode of the Circle Master Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Penji. Every online business needs graphics and there's no better company to work with than Penji. Get a full-time artist without the cost or hassle of hiring a team member. Their unbelievable affordable pricing and amazing artists are the best in the business. See just how affordable they are at servedmaster.com forward slash Penji. Are you tired of dealing with your boss? Do you feel underpaid and underappreciated? If you want to make it online, fire your boss and start living your retirement dreams now. Then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Serve No Master Podcast, where you'll learn how to open new revenue streams and make money while you sleep. Presented live from a tropical island in the South Pacific by best-selling author Jonathan Green. Now, here's your host. Today, we have a really very special episode. I'm excited to talk to Robert today about a lot of the opportunities for artistic people. We're often limited by what we thought the options were for photographers 10, 20, or 30 years ago, which is I can be a wedding photographer, I can be a landscape photographer, and that's it. But there's so many amazing things and opportunities now where you can kind of take control of your own business. I'm really excited. Thank you so much for being here today, Robert. Awesome. I'm glad to be here. I'd love to hear a little bit about how your journey started, um, kind of your passion for the arts and how you started seeing it as a possibility for a full-time business. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just kind of like like to say I kind of just had no other option, really. <laughs> as strange as that sounds or whatever. Um, uh, yeah, so I started doing photography um, about my mid-teens or so. And then I... Um, did a few jobs I didn't like, and then I kind of just um, decided I was going to go for it and went from there. And then I just basically just had to figure it out from there. So uh, for me, sometimes I think it's just a matter of survival at times. <laughs> that makes sense. And do you did you need like a massive amount of skill to start into photography? Like, do you have to be a master photographer with tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment, or can you start out with a little bit less? You can start it with a bit less. I think you kind of have to. Like everything is so cost prohibitive when you start. Like the equipment that I have now has just been built up over years and years, right? Um, so much of photography is kind of honing the skill and the craft of it when you start out. Um, and then once you have those basics and those tools, um, excuse me, then you would buy like the tools, the lenses, the cameras and stuff. Um, I think you're really kind of, it does you a disservice when you get all the top of the line stuff right away because you don't really know the basics and how to use it. Um, you can you can get really lazy that way. Um, yeah, so I think a, a lot of people make this assumption that it's about the gear that you t in order to get into filmography or anything to do with cameras, you have to have really expensive lenses, really expensive cameras, and I've seen that like. Even for people to go, oh, if you want to start a YouTube channel, you need $5,000 camera, $8,000 lens. And it's really intimidating. And I think that even for my camera, I, I don't have a very expensive camera, basic 4K $1,000 camera, but I don't know what probably 90% of the buttons do. I watched one training video on how to set it up. I don't really understand ISO. I don't really understand F-stops, all those things. I just looked up what are the best settings for my environment. And I think that that's one of the challenges. People think that it's more about the gear than the skill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, that's really a big mistake with it too. Um, with this technology too, like it's hard to think about it, but like you consider cameras were invented over a hundred years ago. Like we're still there's still the same basic technology, 
there's lots of different like bells and whistles that have been added right with digital and everything, but it's still that basic thing. So, so much of it is just learning how to use those tools properly. Um, now I'm going to say though, too, like sometimes you do need that equipment for certain things. Like if you're going to shoot sports and you're on the side of a NFL field, like you do kind of need that $12,000 lens to kind of get there. Cause there's, you can't really fake that. You can't run on the field, right? <laughs> to get a closer shot. Um, but too, like there's options too, right? Like people get in this gear hungry phase and it's, it's just not, it's not good. You can rent what you need. There's professional programs. Like I have a Nikon professional services and they, they help me out with gear when I need it for often zero to low cost on it. So there's support systems you need. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot more than just buying stuff, I think. <laughs> yeah. So how can someone, like with an eye for photography, or is it something can be overcome? I think it's something you learn. I, I think it's a lot of this is just sheer determination. Um, any arts field, I think it's... I, I have this theory about people who seem to excel in these difficult careers, like sports or arts or anything. I, I think like most of it, to be honest, is just not quitting. And a lot of it is just almost an unhealthy um, uh, commitment to it or almost a, a passion for it that I think makes it happen. I don't think you can really be born good at this. Um, you might have different attributes. Like with me, I'm an introvert, right? So I I take more times to observe things. I'm always looking at obscure things that I, I'm not sure really other people notice because I'm more concerned with things that aren't maybe necessarily right in front of me. So maybe that gives me a bit of an edge for the type of work I do because it helps me be really detail-orientated. Um, but that's just my thing. So that's probably just helps me with my style. The next person could be better at this or that. I think it's just it's just getting all those hours in to mastery, you know? There's so many different ways you can specialize, whether it's wedding photography, architectural photography, which you talk a lot about on your website, or taking pictures for like open houses. I've seen that's become a whole thing or drone photography. Like there's all these paths you can go down that whether you want to interact with people or never interact with people. Some people love to take photographs of children and for other people, it's their worst nightmare trying to make a kid smile. So it's, that's what's really interesting to me is that it's a much more wide open field than people realize. Like whatever you, like you can become like one of my friends he's a voiceover artist that only does hr videos for european companies it's like such a specialty but you can find your thing and i think that's what's really exciting about a lot about what you're doing now and kind of showing people that there's so many possibilities yeah for sure and that's just it like the funny thing is too by like how you mentioned with your friend like the more you specialize the kind of better path it'll make for you to get where you're going. Cause it's easy to be, it's easier to be the best person that specializes in voiceovers for European countries than it is to be the best person who specializes in voiceovers for everything. Right. So right there, like using your niche is huge and you really can do whatever you want. Like you can craft your career into what you want it to be. Like you don't have to be, a wedding photographer, like in my industry, like everyone starts as a wedding photographer. I actually didn't. Um, and people are generally shocked that I don't shoot weddings. And it's it's just not something I'm into, you know, like I, I think weddings are great. I just don't think I'm the guy to shoot your wedding. So I don't do it because I'm not maybe as excited as the next person to do it, right? Um, 
but I, I think too, like uh, a lot of people too, like it's really good to like match your career with your hobbies um, and what you're interested in too. And that doesn't necessarily have to be directly either. Like for me, um, like I was obviously really interested in photography, but I'm also really interested in um, like how companies work and like industrial facilities and how things are built and made and things like that. Like I really have always like been interested in that kind of like mechanical asset aspect to it as well. Excuse me. And uh, for me, that makes it better for me because I'm interested in that. Like if you're a rock climber and you're interested in photography too, like you could be a really good photographer of rock climbing. Like there's a famous photographer, I think it's Jimmy Chin or whatever that did the free solo like nobody, there's very few people in the world that can hang off a mountain and have that qualifications and do photography, but he's matched them together and he's super successful at it, right? Yeah, I think that's really good is to realize that you can merge the two things you like together. So as the hardest part, the biggest hurdle is often the first paying project. What's the best way or how, maybe how you started instead of wedding photographer, getting your very first client? Like I would be very nervous to do a wedding too because you only get one shot. Like I would be so nervous if that was my very first project, my first client, um, and it's their wedding. It's so important to them. So I understand that hesitation. I would be nervous too. But where? Do, what's the best way or some of the ways that people can go from zero to one, from going, this is a hobby to, wow, people will pay me for this and people will like what I've done? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it is time. And I think you should volunteer for things like weddings if you need to or work as a second shooter. You can work for someone else to get started where all that pressure is not on your shoulders. I, I, I don't know. I've heard so many horror stories about friends shooting friends, weddings and kind of ruining friendships because things didn't turn out perfectly. So I don't think you should just start and go and shoot a wedding off the top, but you can go shoot charity events. Charities are always desperate for people to take photos. Um, you can do things like that to get started. And then once you have the experience down, then it's all about just getting out there, um, treat it like a full-time job, get your website up and post work. And eventually people start to come to you is, is the goal. What's a second shooter? Oh, I'm sorry. A second shooter is just like a second photographer. Um, you'll see like, uh, like on a wedding, there's usually two photographers. So you'll have like the, basically the person you hired and then they'll have a secondary person that'll go and get kind of like the B-roll even though we don't call it that, uh, photography is, it's just like, a, it's like an insurance you have, like most wedding photographers, the good ones will have two shooters because things happen. So you get two viewpoints. Is it like an apprentice? Is it someone you're training? Is it a paid position? Is it just a kind of like a learning the skills rule, writing someone else's reputation, or is it like, it's actually paid and it's kind of, you're just a backup. It's usually paid. Um, it depends on your skill level. Um, you could start out um, as an unpaid. I'm not going to go into the <laughs> how people pay each other in this industry, but I'll just say that it should be paid because you are working. Um, but that is not always the case. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah, because it is that once you... I think the most important thing is having a bit of a portfolio, right? Or the referrals. That's where most of it comes from. Because in my experience, whenever I'm doing creative work, it's if it's a referral, they didn't even ask to look at my portfolio. They just go, oh, someone else said you're good, so let's do it. 
So I think once you get kind of get the ball rolling, so however you can do that to start getting people that said, oh, I've seen his work, it's pretty good, then the doors start to open. Yeah, for sure. For me, I, it's it's all portfolio. I don't think anyone hires me without seeing a portfolio. Um, and that's just really like, in this industry, it's really about having those shots that people are looking for, mm-hmm. um, or especially a style. Um, and to go back to what you're saying about getting started too, like go shoot the work before you have it. You can do personal projects. You can figure out places you need to shoot. Like if you want to shoot photos of cars, start staging cars, start talking to people, start doing what you need to do to get a good book or portfolio together. And then when people see that, they'll hire you for that type of work. They don't, they don't generally think as much outside of what you shoot. It does happen. But for instance, like I don't get any wedding inquiries anymore, like ever, because I don't have a wedding, a single wedding photograph on my website. Right. Um, but I get inquiries for the work that's on my website, if that makes sense. It does. So that's something else I wanted to dial into, which is that when someone's hiring a photographer they're gonna, and they look at your portfolio and say they're looking at three photographers, whoever has the example that closely matches what they want, like if one has only cars, one has only buildings, one has weddings, if they're looking for cars, they're going to go with the first photographer, even if the other two might be a little bit better because it matches, they can see what they're going to get, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's neat that you mentioned better too, because better is a very relative term to the viewer, right? Um, so yeah, they're going to go with what what matches for them, and uh, yeah, that's exactly it. That's really good. So someone who's starting out, they can build a portfolio f- for the type of clients they want to get. So it's almost like the chicken does come before the egg. Oh, it does. And like, that's so crucial. And everyone makes that mistake when they start out as they like have a picture of their cat in their portfolio and a picture of their friend and all these things that don't match which the work they want to go for. And like, I'm guilty of that too. Like when I started out, I didn't know what I was doing, you know, for marketing, I just kind of had anything in there, but yeah, like planning what you want to do and having that, the mind to set up the types of shots you want and build that portfolio is really is really essential and it'll save you a lot of steps to getting there. Um, that being said too, like you're not, you're also not going to be pigeonholed into doing one thing. Like I used to do like a lot of product photography and now I don't do that much anymore. Um, just cause I, I was getting bored of it and I've moved into different areas to where I am now where I really enjoy the most is where I am right now. But yeah, yeah, it's all about the portfolio. So a lot of people wait to build a portfolio until they're getting clients. And it's the same thing in the writing space. People are like, oh, I don't have any samples. And we say, make the samples and then you'll get the clients because it is kind of that trade-off. Like you, Either you do free work for someone like you talked about or you do free work of your own that's like your passion project. And I have seen like when I've been hiring uh, models or photographers in the past, sometimes they have stuff that's in their portfolio. Then you're like, why would you mix in like a non-professional photo? Like when we're hiring actors for videos, sometimes we shoot like ads. And I'm always surprised when someone has like a photo that's like with like a Blackberry camera and you can't really see them like or like half their heads cut off. Like people don't realize it's the small things can make a huge difference. So would you say it's better to have a smaller portfolio that's like your best work? Because I think sometimes people are like, oh, I just need more quantity. And I personally think like two or three photos that are really great are much better than three great photos and seven photos. I'm like, why are these here? Yeah, I, it really needs to be dialed in, and it depends. It depends on what you're you're going for and showing. 
Um, I, I think big portfolios are good if you want to show like a lot of the projects you've worked on and done, but it needs to be really dialed in and the, they need to be good photos and you have to like separate your own emotions from it. And that's, that's the hardest part because you have to put yourself in what a viewer would see of that. But yeah, it, it's so crucial. Um, you know, like even getting back to the actors thing too, like we hire models and actors for some of our shoots and I, I see the same thing and it's kind of three great photos and then you see one bad one and then you're just like, Oh, I, I probably won't reach out to this person. You know, it's, yeah, I think it, professionalism. They're, exactly. They're accidentally adding that non-professionalism thing by trying to build the portfolio. And exactly. One of the things I've noticed as well is that as a writer, my favorite stuff, <coughs> my favorite content is not my audiences. Do you ever have that experience where like your favorite photograph from a, a set is the one the client does not like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That uh, that's a that's a that's a weird thing you brought up because that, that is uh, definitely something that does come up sometimes. Uh, I know in my portfolios and stuff, and even the photos I share, like they aren't the ones that get more attention. Sometimes aren't the ones I like the most, um, but that's just the way it goes. Um, the neat thing though is about being more established and doing it for a longer time is you kind of put up the photos you like more, and then you kind of get asked to do that type of photos more too. So it kind of balances out. But yeah, that's it's kind of a thing that comes up from time to time. <laughs> so when someone's starting out earlier, is it better to customize their portfolio based on what other people say they like or potential clients? Like I'm usually thinking whatever the ideal client for me, whatever they like is what I want to show, even if it's not my favorite or not exactly matching my artistic style. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. I, it, I think you change over time, but I think when you start, like your your main goal in this is to survive and to eat. So, like, really hone in that marketing. Figure out where those clients are, and that's so crucial. Like, you can't just put up a website and expect everyone to come see it. Like, you got to figure out all the marketing aspects. Like, who's your ideal client? How are they going to see you? How are you going to get to them? How are you going to market to them? Like. Will they find this meets their needs? Like, there's so many things that are just outside of being creative that are so essential to being successful at it. And is it possible to travel while doing this type of career? Or are you kind of trapped in the city where you build a reputation? No, um, I travel. Um, it took a it took a long time to get it to kind of happen, um, but in the last few years, it's really picked up. I spent the last, uh, I think I was on the road 40 days in the last 50, 60 days, something like that, right across Canada um, a few times, back and forth. Um, so you can do it. It's difficult, but you, you have to figure it out. And if you want to travel, you can do it. So, or you can just stay in one city. Like, Yeah. So Sorry, go ahead. is it possible to plan a trip like around and go, okay, I want to go to these three cities. So I'm going to set up work there in this order and kind of have work waiting for you when you arrive. It is, but it's like I said, it's very difficult. <laughs> you need to have established clients um, and you need to figure that out, uh, how that's going to work. And yeah, it, it, you can do it. Um, you can also just go around and shoot too. Like there's, you can try to sell stock. You can do other things too, right? It's not all 
clients hiring you too? So if you're working on a project for a client, like the, the content they don't want to use, are you allowed to, if it's not of like something particular, like if just a buildings in nature or something, are you allowed to reuse that as stock photo, like sell it on your own or is it part of what they own? That really depends on your contracts. Um, I don't really do stock with client work. Some people have it in their releases that they do. Um, I just don't like it because I, I've never had a real, a real, a client that was would be too excited to see some of the photos you took from their shoot on a stock photo website. I've had clients come to us from other photographers who did things like that, and they weren't dealing with that photographer anymore. So. For me, it's not worth it to make like two dollars on selling a stock photo, you know, to like burn like clients that are in the five digit range. Doesn't make sense to me to do that. Some people do, and some people that's in their contracts. It's really all on what that is. Um, and I, I guess I should explain more too. Like with photography, it's the clients don't really own the photos unless they're specifically purchasing. Uh, unlimited ownership out of that, and that's usually an add-on cost. But generally, for photography, they're almost they have like an usage um, agreement on it, what they're allowed to use it for, and stuff like that. So we're kind of lucky in our industry because we kind of do really own everything in that too. So it's it's kind of good that way. We're kind of like uh, musicians; we kind of own everything. So it's it's kind of nice. By this, I know my audience is going to love it. There's a lot of really creative people trying to build their business. A lot of times, people think, "Oh, I can either be creative or build a business." But it's awesome to see you can do both. So this is really exciting. I appreciate your time, Robert. Where can people find out more about you, see some of your work, and learn more about kind of becoming a professional photographer? Yeah, for sure. The easiest place is just my website. So it's just my name, basically. So it's uh, Robert. So R O B E R T Loudon. L-O-W-D-O-N.com. And uh, we're on Instagram and everything else. You can just Google me too. I tend to pop up all over the place. And we do have some articles and stuff on the blog too about becoming a professional photographer and things like that too. You might kind of, viewers might, or excuse me, listeners might kind of find useful as well. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you being here. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Server Master Podcast. Get a free copy of my bestseller, Fire Your Boss, right now on Amazon. Go to servermaster.com forward slash get fire or just search Fire Your Boss on Amazon. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Serve No Master Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss another episode. We'll be back next week with more tips and tactics on how to escape the rat race. Please take a moment to leave a review at servenomaster.com forward slash iTunes. It helps the show grow and more listeners means more content for you. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.